You're listening to Regen, formerly known as the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regen, visit rivercitychurch.us. The following sermon was originally recorded in the fall of 2017. We hope you enjoy the special bonus content from Regen. I'm excited about um, this next chapter, though. We're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 11. So go ahead and open up to Hosea chapter 11. If you don't have like an actual like paper Bible, shame on you. No, um, if you don't have a paper Bible, that's fine. But I do encourage you, if you don't have one of these, get one. Because then you can doodle in it. You can make notes in it. You can uh, talk about what God is. Uh, you, you can really... Uh, Get a sense of what God is saying directly to you by underlining things, highlighting things. Just uh, if you have, I had, a, I remember I had a pastor growing up who said, if you have a Bible that you can't doodle in, then get rid of it and get one that you can uh, underline. And if you have a Bible that's too holy for you to underline, then obviously it's too holy. Take it to an antiques roadshow, get some money out of it, and then come back and get a Bible that you can draw in. Um, so anyway. Um, but turn to Hosea chapter 11. I just want to recap. Last time you guys got to hear from TJ Weary. How many of you guys enjoyed hearing from TJ on the uh, Hosea chapter 9? And he touched on 10. And uh, I'm just going to read 10 to you just to give you a little bit of context. Because remember, it's seven, about 784 B.C. Hosea is a prophet called by God to speak to God's people. And he's, uh, why? Because God has made a promise to Israel's um, an ancestor, Abraham, right? And he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world through your line, through your lineage, through your offspring. And, and Abraham's like, yeah, because he was really old, right? And then uh, years and years later, uh, God, and so God is continuing to work out his promises in the people of Israel. Why? Because God wants his people in his place to fulfill his promises. Turn to somebody and say promises. God... God is a God who keeps His promises. Amen? And also, quick note, if you're in Regenerate and somebody's preaching, what do you say when somebody says something that speaks to you? That's right. Yes. I'm going to need, I just want you to know that tonight has been a little rough for me, so I'm going to need a little extra, okay, a little extra encouragement tonight as, as, we, as I preach this. But let me read uh, Hosea 10 to you, and then we'll get into 11. So just so you, I'm going to kind of rip through this, but just listen. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king and we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth Aben. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests. Those who rejoice over it, over and its uh, over it, and over its glory. For it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Aben, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us into the hills, fall on us. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war again against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah. When I please, I will discipline them, and nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck, but I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. This is a really key verse here. Verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. 
You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice, and you have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your own way, and the multitude of your warriors, therefore the tumult of war shall rise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed, as Shaman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. And everybody's like, Amen. Wow. What a beautiful chapter. Wow. What happened? What's going on here? I think verse 12 is really the key to understanding that, which actually helps set up what we're going to look at tonight. Um, and because in verse, 12, or in verse 12 of chapter 10, he says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. Hosea is preaching a message to the people of Israel because it's a warning, because they are headed in a direction that is only going to bring them destruction. How many of you are glad about a God who is willing to say something before you get into trouble, who is willing to bring somebody or something into your life to say, Stop! What are you doing? Where are you going? Anybody excited about a God who does that for you? So God does that through Hosea. And then he starts to have a little dad talk. And that's the title of tonight's sermon. Dad talk. Dad. How how many of you have a father? Okay, like everybody should raise your hand unless you were born in a... Like, you're a product of human cloning, and I had no idea that we were even capable of doing that. And then, you know, born in a test tube, you know, whatever. Everybody had, uh, uh, has a father who, like, obviously, like, contributed to your creation in, the, like, your appearance in the world, at the very least. Some of us have fathers who were not even there. Some of us have fathers who, were, who caused a lot of pain in our lives. And tonight, uh, we are continuing this idea in Hosea that a relationship is a reflection. Turn to somebody say reflection. Reflection. A relationship is a reflection. In fact, it's a. Re- and, and this carries on the idea that Hosea is bringing to us that reflect that relationships reflect the way God wants to desi- uh, wants to relate to us. That's why in Hosea chapter one he tells Hosea, "Hey Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute." And he's like, "Oh, uh, okay." And then he ended up marrying this woman named Gomer, right? And they had children together that had weird names. And then in chapter three she runs away from him and goes back to prostitution. And God tells him, "Go and buy her." And so then he goes and buys her, and we all wept together, and it's such a beautiful story, you know, and about a redeem, uh, the, the redeeming love of God. God loves us so much, you guys. I don't know if you knew that. But God, so we see this portrayed, the way God wants to relate to us portrayed in marriage. Now, it's going to be through parent-child relationship. Um, how many of you have ever had, like, an issue with your parent at some point or another in the last week, 24 hours? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you don't have to... Keep your hand up for that. <laughs> me. That was me. I had problems with my, with my parents. Everybody has issues with their parents at some point. And uh, actually, I think that there's something very important about the idea that God reveals himself in Scripture as a father. Turn to somebody and say, Father. Now turn to somebody and say, Luke, I am your father. <laughs> father. So yeah, he's a fa- God reveals himself as a father. And what's crazy, though, is as, as we read this, we're going to see something important, that, that God is a perfect father. God is a perfect father. And, so, and, what, and often we want, to, we want to have perfect relationships in our lives, right? I remember, I remember meeting this dude. Uh, I was on a work trip down in Boise. And so uh, I was down there meeting with, uh, uh, with, with students at high schools. And there were representatives from all these different schools in Idaho. And we were out at lunch. And so we're sitting there. And I'm sitting across from this dude. And he's eating his like sushi roll or whatever. And then... And he's telling me about his big dream in life. And he's like, yeah, I want to, uh, you know, I'm just working on me, you know. He told me, I'm just working on me, you know. And uh, I'm, I just really want to write self-help books. 
in my head I was like, dude, don't say that out loud. That makes you sound like a tool. But I was, <laughs> on the, I was like, I'm just, I'm just, you know, those people who are like, yeah, I'm just going to work on, you ever meet those people? Who are like, I'm going I'm to work on me. Like, I just want to be a better me, you know? And they're like, you know, like self-help and like freaking CrossFit and stuff. And you're like, I'm over here watching Netflix. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but like, <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, at least that's how I feel anyway. Some of you guys are into CrossFit. Good for you. Be, be healthy and be strong, you know, and, but uh, the, the thing is, though, this guy's goal was like to build a, to be a to be a self help author, and I was like, I, okay, I mean, you know, I guess I guess you know if you if you don't know God, then you know, I guess that's an outlet, healthy outlet. If you're like, hey, I want to help people, I'm going to be the next Doctor Phil, okay. But I think we want to we we want to believe that in order to have healthy relationships, how many of you want a healthy relationship? Like, yeah, you want you want you don't want dysfunction in your family, you don't want dysfunction between you and your significant other, or with your future spouse, or whatever. You don't you don't want that tension, right? But a lot of times we assume that in order to fix uh, the issues that we deal with, we, we recognize, and I think that a lot of people are, re- are, are aware of this, and some people aren't, but that things that happened to us in our past, or things that, you know, past hurts and failures and difficulties and sin and things that have been committed to us have a ne- can, can have a negative effect in, what, in our, the way our relationships play out now, right? All right. Okay. So if we know that, then the problem is the world will tell you you got to figure it out psychologically. The starting point is to know more of yourself, like know how your brain works and know this and that. Which those I'm not saying those aren't helpful. Hear me out. But what I'm but I believe what's important is that if you don't know God as a father and as a perfect father, you will continually uh, you may continually run up against the same issues until you begin to realize who you are in Christ, and that God is your Father. The, health, the place to start for healthy relationships is to have a healthy relationship with your Heavenly Father. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? that, so let, and that now that I've made that big um, <laughs> splash entry, let's, let's talk about, let, let's read this, and then let's unpack it together. You guys ready? You guys ready to get into God's Word? So here's Hosea. He's going he's gonna to preach at us again from 784 B.C. Reaching back into time. Hosea chapter 11. Let's do this. I'm, and I'm preaching from the English Standard Version here. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies in the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. 
chapter 12, verse 1. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. It is God's word. Let's pray. Abba, Father, this is your time and your space. We, uh, we open our ears and our eyes to hear what your word has to say. God, I pray that, that something new would be revealed in people's hearts tonight, God. That the Holy Spirit would begin to stir things up in people. And that we would learn what it means to be loved so that we can actually love other people. Um, so that your kingdom can come to earth, God. And as Jesus prayed, and as Jesus taught us to pray, God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, um, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 So, Hosea chapter 11. Whew. We, got some, we got some really fatherly stuff going on here. I feel like I should insert a dad joke here. So, you know, if somebody say I'm going to go hit the road. <laughs> somebody say it. Well, be careful. You might scrape your knees. <laughs> you know, so, um, and, you know, I felt like inserting a dad joke here. Um, so, um, because it's a, it's a dad passage. This is really, this is a passage about fatherhood. Fatherhood. And uh, so, if, and this is the first, there's basically two kind of categories that Jose explores here. One is theology. Turn to somebody and say theology. theology. Now turn to somebody else and say anthropology. anthropology. Anybody here study Anthropology. No, okay, sort of, a little bit. Can somebody tell me what anthropology is? Study of people, people, cultures, right. Um, What would be theology? Study of God. Study of God. Study of God. And guess what? Everybody's a theologian. I know that some of you are like, I'm not smart enough to be a theologian. Do you know something about God? Okay, congratulations. You just thought a thought about God, which makes that means that if you're thinking about God, then you're actually engaging in theology, so you're actually a theologian. Congratulations. Um, theology is, yes, thinking about studying God. And so as we look in this, we're going to see this, this relationship between theology and anthropology. Who man is and who God is. And there's a relationship that's really important between the two of them. See, God is a perfect father. And here we see that, first of all, God loves Israel. And if we are going to understand this whole passage, we need to understand the father heart of God. And it it pains me to say that there's a lot of Christians, even, who will walk through their spiritual life without ever understanding that God is their father. You have this idea that Jesus is this cool hippie dude who's like, hey guys, come on in. The kingdom of heaven's right through this door, you know? And then, like you, and then you came into this house party and God the father is like this angry dad who's like, Jesus, who are these people? And he's like, it's okay, they're with me, dad. And he's like, oh. And he's just really angry. And like, like God the Father is just this angry, grumpy old man. And like Jesus is his cool, hippy-dippy son. And we don't even know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Like, so it's just floating around in the house somewhere. We don't even know. And like, so we don't know what to do with God the Father a lot of times. Because a lot of people like look at the Old Testament and they're like, I'm so glad that we live in the New Testament now because God like went through puberty and he stopped being mad. And now like with Jesus, he's super nice to us. No, no, no. God has always been loving. God has always, always been loving. He's always had a massive heart of love for His people. And so, we, and we understand this when we look at this because the first thing that He says is, When Israel was a child, I loved Him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. See, the problem with it, He says, I called them out of Egypt. Now, if any of you are familiar with Israel's history, they were in Egypt in slavery for like 400 years, okay? 
how long is 400 years? A long time. Can anybody tell me how long the United States has been around as a country? 200. Like 200 years? Okay, so double that. That's how long Israel was in slavery. If you are in slavery for 400 years and suddenly God shows up through a guy who like goes and like splits the sea and like turns like the, the rivers red and there's frogs everywhere and there's flies everywhere and then the firstborn die and there's all, all these crazy things happening. Are you going to know exactly how to follow this God? 400 years of slavery. The only thing that you have is the stories of what happened to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yeah, I guess there was this God once upon a time, but he abandoned us 400 years ago. I don't even know if he's real now. And then suddenly... God's real. Whoa, he sets the people free from Egypt. And so now God has to teach them to walk. Turn to somebody and say, walk. He has to teach them to walk. Why? Because they have to learn what it is to be Israel. They left Egypt. Probably the biggest cultural influence they had was Egypt itself. They actually had no idea of how to be their own. They had no actual cultural identity. They had no identity of who God is or how, what it meant to be one of his people. So he begins to teach them to walk in his ways. And this is why we can look at the Ten Commandments and the, the law books in the Old Testament and go, oh man, that's a lot of rules. That's because God was inventing a culture. You, you think about that? Like God is inventing a culture, like saying, okay, you guys, this is the way I want you to live. I want you to be, he says this over and over in Leviticus, I want you to be holy even as I am holy. So holy means set apart, different. I want you to be, turn to somebody and say, different. Different. You got to be different from somebody else because God has a special purpose in place for Israel. How many of you know that it's okay to be a little bit different if God is calling you to a purpose, right? How many of you know that it's okay to be a little bit different from the way that the rest of the world works in order to fulfill God's promises in your life? Not nobody's going to say anything. That's okay. Um, we're going to move on. God loves Israel. God loves Israel, and we have to understand the Father heart of God. But the problem is this. Uh, where's the marker? Um, where are my markers at? Hey, oh, right over here. This is going to work just fine. Could you move this screen up for me, Bobby? Yep. Hopefully there's like nothing obscene behind this. Like I have, I have not checked what's behind this at all. So don't judge me. Alright. If you could turn off the screen for a moment. So, this is, unfortunately, a lot of us have this, uh, there's a continuum, however, with fatherhood. And uh, we talk, you know, people talk about broken families and fatherhood issues and things like that. I think everybody, every single one of us has some kind of issue with dad at some point, okay? There's a, there's a reason why there's a term called daddy issues, okay? And I know that's like, oh, that, that has like a bunch of negative connotations and stuff. But let's explore this for a second. If you'll just explore this with me just for a moment and you'll see how this matches up with the scripture we're reading. See, we tend to, uh, earthly fathers are sinful, right? Can we agree on that? Okay. If we, so it, and if that's the case, God is a perfect father, but it's hard to see exactly what a perfect father is like because none of our fathers were actually perfect. Okay, my dad was a good man, okay? Uh, was he perfect? No, of course not. He, was, he, he, he suffered from a sin nature just like the rest of us. Talk about him like he's gone. He's still here. He lives like down the street. But um, anyway, but there's usually a continuum that, that a father is on. Um, and on the one end of the spectrum, there's like a spectrum over here. And on the one end of the spectrum, there's... On the far end, there's cruelty, and then on the other end, uh, there's just indifference, right? So, uh, there's a, the father who's indifferent is the father who doesn't care. 
The father who's indifferent is the one who's just watching the game and never engages with the kids, never teaches them how to walk. The father who's indifferent is, is disengaged from his family, doesn't really care or invest in that because ultimately he actually probably sees his child as a mistake. Uh, and that you like a way, a, meet, a way that his youthful years were canceled or something like that. I don't know. We, we don't have time to explore all the issues for why, but this is one area. Okay, far on far on the far side, indifference. And then on the other far side is cruelty. A father who is cruel is a father who has high, high expectations but zero affection. Uh, is a father who can be very. Uh, this is this is where uh, uh, fathers become abusive, where fathers become uh, angry, where fathers can become. Uh, Cruel. That's that's why that's why it's there. But also intersecting with this is a, is another thing too that we have to take into consideration, um, and it's proximity. So on the one hand, uh, you can have a father who is uh, who is intimate, right? Like he and what I mean by intimate is like he's involved in in in, in shows affection to you. And then on the on the uh, top side is uh, on the, the flip side is distant, right? Now there's health within. These boundaries. If you're if the father who is distant and uh, who is uh, is the opposite of the father who is intimate because he never like will never even touch his child, never has anything to do with them, um, and just and like you know, have, have any of you had like that weird moment where you're like, oh my dad hugged me, that felt weird, um, like where you're just like, why would my dad hug me? This is there was a, anybody ever seen Arrested Development? There's a scene where Michael's Michael's like, mom, why are you putting your body around me? And she's like, it's a hug, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Same kind of thing. But see, this is the problem. This is the spe- these are the spectrums upon which we view our earthly fathers a lot of the times. Is they either indifferent, um, too intimate, like inappropriately intimate, or they're distant, or they're cruel. And what happens in, in like, let's explore each of these quadrants, right? So if you, are, if you have a father who's um, distant and indifferent, what, what, what would we call that kind of father? Not there. Not there. Absent, right? So you have the... Right, single mother. Single motherism. You have the absent father over here. He's distant. He won't. So has nothing, never ever looks at the kid. <laughs> and indifferent. Doesn't care. On the other hand, though, there are fathers who are intimate, who love playing with the kids, but then at the same time, they're indifferent about the development of their children, so they don't want to discipline them. They just want to be pals. And then this becomes the father who's actually an enabler. So this is the father who refuses to dis- extend the hand of discipline because then you can't be, you know... Sport, you know, he can't be, he can't be the, he can't be. Hey, pal, how's it going? Like, it, this is the father who never wants anything negative. So, but actually, it's a form of indifference. And then over here, if you have a father who's distant, right, won't show you any love or affection, and he's cruel, we have an overlord. This is a father who refuses, who his again has super high expectations, never shows the children love, doesn't actually, doesn't ever just, won't even give the kid a high five. Is the one who goes to the little league games only so he can yell at the kid afterwards because of how poor he did. This is the kid. This is the father who's demanding. This is the father who exacts a lot and doesn't give much in return. And at the worst, these fathers can be physically abusive, verbally abusive, right? And some of us have experienced that. And then on this side, if a father is very intimate and is also cruel, we have a predator. And unfortunately, this is also reality in our world. You have fathers who are predators, who turn into predators because they show in, in, uh, an inordinate amount of affection, but they're also being cruel to the child. 
And so this is like, wow, that's, thanks for that, Sam. That's really bleak. Um, why, why would you <laughs> do that? My point is this. I don't know which quadrant your dad falls into. Okay? I don't know which quadrant your family falls into. Or which quadrant... Maybe you want to... And this is the thing. These things have a deep effect on us, though. Because often, the way that you were raised by your parents will influence the way that you live. Because you say, my dad was a predator. I'm never even going to like... I'm, I'm never going to do that to my kids. So I'm going to swing absent. Right? So when you grow up, then you're going to be this way. My parents were enablers, right? So I'm not going to let my... I'm, I'm, I'm going to be tough on my kids. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm not going to let them run amok. And then you could easily swing into overlord mode. So what do we do? What we need is the model of a perfect father. Amen? Amen. So where's the model? I think it's right here in Hosea chapter 11. Check this out. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning to idols. And look at this, verse 3. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I, and this is, this is God saying, I am the one who actually gave Israel a name. I'm the one who gave Israel their cultural differences, I'm, uh, their, their cultural uniqueness. I'm the one who has given them value and worth. He is, in other words, he is not indifferent. So if we look just at verses 3 and 4, we can see that God actually cares. He is actually interested. And guess what? God is actually interested in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. May, I don't know if your father was indifferent to you or just pretended like he didn't care or whatever, but God actually cares about your life as an individual, as us corporately, yes, just like he cared for the people of Israel corporately, but he also cares for you at an individual level. He's paying attention. You notice he's teaching Ephraim to walk. Now, some of you guys don't have experience. Anybody have like nieces or nephews or anything like that? Like little baby? Yeah, in your family? Okay, I have a 10-month-old daughter. She loves to walk. She can't actually do it, but she loves it. So like what, what, I, what I do is, you know, you put, I put down both hands, and then Lainey Bean can grab onto my fingers, and then, and then kind of walk around, and then she gets this look on her face like, <gasps> you know, like, she's, it's super adorable. Um, but she, she does this because she loves to walk, but it requires me coming alongside of her and showing her attention and showing her how to do it, right? That means I can't be indifferent to her needs, right? God is not indifferent to you. God was not indifferent to the people of Israel, and He's not indifferent to you. <clears throat> and then He says, "I let this is this is also really powerful because He says I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love." Interestingly enough, in verse four, the word there is actually not kindness. In the English Standard translates it kindness, but the word is actually Adam. It's just man. I led them with the cords of man. What does that mean? Well, there's they, some commentators believe it's like communicating humaneness. You know what I think? This is, just, this is just the Sam commentary here. I think that it takes a special kind of man to be a father. I, take, I think that the ultimate, the, I, I think that being a man and being a father go hand in hand. I think it's part of God's design. And we need more young men who are willing to step up and take responsibility in this area so that we can begin to see some societal change, some cultural change, so we can begin to see innovation and families that are healed and whole and moving towards God together. Am I preaching to somebody tonight? I hope that I am. Because you guys, you young men, you have, you have an opportunity from God to actually to be an image bearer of him to a future generation. Think about, I know in college right now, you don't, sometimes you don't have like the long-term goals in mind, but I want you to start thinking long-term. 
What kind of man am I becoming? Enjoy the phase of life you're in. Yes, God has got you on a great adventure. And there are many opportunities for you to, do, to innovate and do things while you're single. Take advantage of those times. But let these times shape you into the man God wants you to be. Young ladies, am I right on this? Amen. Yes. You guys are like, oh, gosh. But see, here's the thing. God is not going to leave you alone in that. Because he, why? Because He's not indifferent. He cares about you. And if whether you are a young man or a young lady, He is watching over you and actually cares about you. And number, and, but secondly, it says, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. Cords of man. It takes a real man to raise a baby. It takes a real man to hold a little 10-month-old by the hands and like walk around the room. And when your dog tired because she stayed up all night the night before. And praise God that your child has energy, but you don't. Don't worry, you guys will relate to that like years from now. Okay, I led with corns of kindness, I, with the bands of love. And then he, then he changes metaphors and he talks about like a, a, a farmer who is being gentle to his animals. He says, I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. Again, God cares for you. He is intimately involved with your life. But verse 5, he says this, They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. And this is again where I differ with the translation. Because that word not actually, I don't believe that belongs there. It actually belongs in the, in the, in the place prior, and it was mis, uh, mistranslated. It should just say, They shall return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. So the ultimate outcome of sin is warfare in Israel. The people of Assyria, it was this massive empire just to the east, and they were going to come and they were going to wipe out Israel. And so Hosea is warning them. Why? Because God is, what's he doing? He's disciplining. He's not a neighbor. He's, he's promising his children that he's not going to be like that. Yes, he intimately cares about them, but also in verses 5-7 to we see that God is not going to enable them. Not, he's not indifferent, but he is intimately involved. And it, the book of Hebrews says that God disciplines those he loves. Nobody shouts amen on that because nobody actually wants to hear that. <laughs> I don't want God to discipline me. No, God is actually shaping you into the woman of God that you need to be. God is shaping you into the man of God that you need to be. And sometimes in those times is when the time is not the time to go, Oh God, get me out of this difficulty. But rather, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? God, just help. I heard one pastor put it this way. God, help me figure out this assignment so I can just move on to the next one. <laughs> God, help me to learn the, message, the lesson just a little bit quicker so I don't have to go through quite as much pain. Can I get an amen on that? God is going to bring you through some difficult times and seasons, and these are not the most difficult times or seasons of your life. You will have more difficulties and seasons and harsh times ahead of you, but God is going to prepare you for them. I just want to tell you right now, if you feel like life is difficult and you feel like, oh, it's, it's depressing to think that life could get harder, God's going to give you the strength to get through it. Amen. Sorry, I'm preaching too much. I need to get back to the teaching. Okay, so... People, and then he says this, The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, devour them because of their own counsels, because they're following their own way and not following God's way. Verse 7, My people are bent on turning away from me, and that they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. It's like, it's like a sword that's bent. It just doesn't work. I'm, I'm sorry, it's not gonna, it won't fit in the sheet. It doesn't work. And so my people are bent on turning away from me, and so I'm going to deliver them over to their own counsels. But then, listen to this. Yes, he is, but he is, he is not distant. He said, but then listen to this. He says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebuim? 
My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. That word recoil is like something turning over and over. Like God is heart sick over his people. I love this because God's saying, this is going to happen. War is going to come and it's going to destroy you. And it's like, why? (laughs) How can I give you up? Even though you have run away from me, even though you completely turned against me and rejected me, I can't give you up. No matter how hard I try, I just can't do it because I love you too much. See, God is not cruel either. See, he says, even though I will discipline you, I'm not going to destroy you. Okay, I'm not going to wipe you out, Israel, because I still have plans for you. I made promises and I'm going to keep them. God is not cruel. God is not cruel. Look at this. This is amazing. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Verse 9. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. Listen to this. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. He's saying in spite of all these things, I am not like you. See, we, when, when somebody does something wrong against you, how many of you guys have like... Uh, let's, let, let's just use siblings because that's usually the easiest route to go when we're talking about this. Been in a fight with somebody before? Right? <laughs> yeah, siblings. Are, yeah, everybody. You've been in a fight with somebody before and, and when they say something that just, right? Like, if you, you have like a, okay, I'm speaking as, old, as an older brother. I have a younger brother. And he used to just say things sometimes that just, because they, like they know you, right? So then they say the one thing that just sets you right off, right? And your instant reaction is what? Smack him. Oh, kill him. Okay, we need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk about that. That's actually illegal. Um, and not just a sinful thing, but also very illegal. But um, <laughs> you, you want to slap him. You want to get revenge immediately. But God says, even though you have done this, and I can't even imagine the pain that he's feeling, because the pain of a, of a father with a rebellious child is something that I can't even imagine. Right? Uh, he said, but he says, even then, how can I give you up? I can't hand you over. I will not execute it in burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. Somebody here tonight needs to know that God is not like a man. The man who has hurt. There, there's been people in your life that have, have hurt you or have damaged you in the past. And God wants to bring you healing. And he wants to say to you tonight that I am God and not a man. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts thoughts, whatever it is that you've gone through, God is using it to bring you to a place of peace and fruition in His purposes. He is God and not just a man. Not just a man. And then, I love this, they shall go after the Lord. Verse 10, He will roar like a lion. And when He roars, His children shall come trembling. From the west, they shall come trembling. <laughs> they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. God is not distant. See, throughout all this time, he's saying, "Look at what, what's what's the end result for Israel." He's poetically what he's saying is, "You are going to be sold in. You're going to go right back to slavery. You came out of slavery, and now you want to go right back to it because that's all that you've ever known." And immediately, as soon as you got to the promised land, you still turned to idols. You still turned away from the worship of Yahweh. You still set up high places. You still sacrificed your children in the fire to Molech. You still committed lewd sex acts to worship Baal and Ashtoreth. But eat, and so you are going to go 
end up being right back where you were. You're going to get exiled to a foreign nation. Your culture is going to be taken from you. Everything that God has built, all those things are going to be taken from you if you continue in disobedience. And this was a promise he made in Deuteronomy 28. Read it. Read about it, alright? But then he says, I'm going to bring you back. See, God is not so distant that he doesn't care. God is not so distant that he can't that he can't bring his people back no matter how far that they have gone. No matter how, how, how difficult times were, how rebellious they were, God is not so distant that he's like, oh, forget about it. It's not worth it. You're worth it to God. He's not distant. He's actually close by. And just like Hosea said in chapter 10, now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. I believe that there's some of you tonight, that this is your time to seek the Lord. God actually wants to share some of His life with you. And He is not distant, He is near. And even in times of difficulty or pain, you need to know that. See, God is a perfect Father because He's right here, right where all these things intersect. He is, he is perfect, He is intimate, but he, he's, he's, not inappropriate. he's never like inappropriate. He never violates His children. God is, a, God is a God who is tender and loving. He is strong, but He's also kind. The, one of the very first words that God used to describe Himself was abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving the iniquity of thousands. My God is slow to anger. Not like me. I'm, I'm quick to anger. Even just this week, I've had, I've, had, I've had times when I've just been quick to snap into anger. God is not like that. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. Can I get an amen on that? God is abounding in love towards you, towards me, towards Hosea and the children of Israel. And what's their response? Ephraim has surrounded me with lies in the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the east wind, on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oils carried to Egypt. Judah still walks with the Holy One. Judah still walks with the Holy One. Why is that important? See, the people of Israel are going to turn away from him, but God never forgot about him. In fact, it was through the tribe of Judah that a certain man was going to be born. And you can read about his genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And because if you read through that, you're going to read about how uh, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Minadab, Minadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Until eventually it says that... The, It comes down to a man named Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. There's a redemptive work. There's a redemptive work going on. No matter what, God is still going to fulfill His promise. Even though Israel has turned aside, the one tribe that was south of Israel, Judah, still was following God's commands. And he's saying, I'm going to do it. I'm still going to fulfill my promise. No matter how far you have gone, there is still a remnant of redemption in your life. God is still going to bring things to fruition through you. Why? Because He's a perfect Father. He's not just a decent Father. He's not just an okay Father. He's not indifferent. He's not distant. He's not, oh, he's not scary into me. He's not cruel. He is a good and perfect Father who loves you perfectly, exactly as you are. And this is why this is so amazing. See, it says that, Jesus, it says that out of Egypt I called my son. That's what Hosea said. Well, guess what? 700 years after that, in Matthew 2.15, we read the same words. Why? Because Jesus Himself ended up in Egypt 
when he was a kid. He was raised in Egypt because Herod the Great tried to kill his family. So he ended up down in Egypt. And it says that this was done in order to fulfill the words of Hosea the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. The great son of God demonstrated the great fatherness of God. Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to earth for and died in our place for our sins. And if you, were, if you believe that by faith that Jesus died for you, but not only that He died for you, but that He rose again, and that He is God in the flesh, you will be saved today, and you get to become part of God's family too. And you get to join in to the great work that God the Father is doing. Can we give God just a few seconds of praise tonight for the goodness of our Father? Can we give Him some praise tonight? God is good. Amen. God is good. So here's the question I want you guys to ask real quick. I want you to turn around and then ask this question. And this is something that you can mull around a little bit, you know. Why did God choose to reveal Himself as a Father? I mean, this isn't the only passage in Scripture where He does this. So why does God choose to reveal Himself as a Father to us, right? One thing that's... Uh, let, before I do that, though, let me share this with you too. Um, there's a, a famous um, author um, named Corey Ten Boom. Um, and she was, I don't know if you've ever heard of her book, The Hiding Place. Uh, she was a Dutch woman. Her family, was, they were Christians. And during the Second World War, they hid, um, um, they hid uh, Jews in their house. They had a secret room in their house. That's why the book is called The Hiding Place. And uh, eventually she was uh, found out. They were found out by the Nazi uh, government. And she was captured and she was dragged off to a concentration camp. She was eventually released just days after her sister died in that camp. Um, it was really, really hard. She went, she went through incredible difficulty. And yet, amazingly, through all of that, she still believed that God had a purpose in mind and that everything that happens, good or evil, is filtered, has to be filtered first through the Father heart of God. He said, she said this, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So, turn around and ask that question. Thinking Father Filter. Why did God reveal Himself as a Father? Go ahead and, and talk to each other just for a couple minutes, and then we'll finish it up. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Regen. If you have any questions about Regen, feel free to shoot us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. Regen, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.